0: Yo, so we're back, right? We're back. We're ready to do this one more time. Sports like
1: Indies. Podcast.
0: Episode. Podcast time. 32. Podcast time. Podcast time. What's up? What's good? What's good in the hood? All right. So we're talking about today, man. We got so much in store. But right now it's NFL Draft Week. Yes, it is.
1: It's a big day. Big day for a lot of individuals. Big day for a lot of. Organizations, big day for a lot of uh, people. Sports fans.
0: No, it is, man. We um, actually get
1: some sort of live event.
0: Absolutely. No, it's it's a, yeah, uh, it's a game changing event, right? I mean, you know, the player that's selected in one of, if not several of the rounds of this particular draft could transform a franchise, right? Could turn the whole thing around, mm-hmm. right? Just one trick.
1: A lot of pressure. A lot of pressures on these GMs, these head coaches, these owners, yeah. to to put together a winning team, a winning culture.
0: So absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, imagine. You know, could there possibly be a Tom Brady, you know, in, oh. in this draft? Right, a a guy in the sixth round. Well, let me answer that. That no, there's a... <laughs> no Tom Brady in this draft. Can you imagine, though? Right. God, that guy. He fell all the way down to the sixth round. End up becoming the, uh, the greatest, probably player in, in the history of the NFL. Well,
1: that's the thing. I don't think Tom Brady becomes Tom Brady if he wasn't drafted in the sixth round,
0: right? That you know, that's provided a lot of
1: motivation for
0: him. Yeah, that chip no, on the shoulder, absolutely. And I think you know, certain personality types are are driven by that, right? I mean, we mentioned the Michael Jordan documentary earlier. And yeah, I mean, you know, he talks about this all the time, how, I mean, in his sophomore year of high school, he didn't make the varsity team, you know, and how that fueled him to just work harder, you know, and get better and better. And you know, eventually you know, he became obviously who he became. So
1: exactly. Everybody needs that source of motivation. Where does it come from? Where does it start? Um, oftentimes we'll get into it, but we want it to eventually be able to come from within because that's the most reliable and sustainable. But today we're essentially going to have three segments to this podcast we're at first going to talk about team dynamics. It's an extension of episode 18 where we introduced the disc assessment. Yeah. I
0: see.
1: Oh yeah. So we're going to, this is going to be from like a GM's head coach perspective. How do you draft a solid team going into the NFL draft next segment? We're going to talk about the pressures of being that number one overall pick. And we'll talk a little bit about not only the NFL draft, but the NBA draft. Maybe we're going to break down maybe the last 20 or so first overall picks in both drafts and, I think there's a lot more busts than you, you may realize. And then what are the attributes that go into a number one overall pick? And then we're going to talk about the potential studs in this year's draft that Armin and I both, I think have our eyes on. And then we'll wrap it up by talking about what now, like what next for these individuals who have accomplished this goal and are shown on live TV, ideally walking up to the stage and, Shaking hands with Roger Goodell, and that's not happening for this draft due to coronavirus. But
0: God, the, the NFL draft is—it's <laughs> such an exciting time, exciting time for for everybody. You know, one of the, the cool things about professional sports, and I think the NFL particularly does a really good job of this, is you know trying to create parity, right, uh, within the league, so that um, you know even smaller markets, right, like Indianapolis. In the smaller markets like Tampa Bay can still have a player that's a transcendent player. Oh, yeah. Right. Colts and Peyton Manning. Right. Come into their organization and, and just like, you know, it, I mean, change the, the whole culture. I mean, that's the thing about like a, especially like a first round draft pick, you know, in terms of what it means for an organization, particularly like a quarterback or, you know, a player that's going to ultimately assume a high level leadership position, you know, an important skill position on the team. Like, this, this is a person that you, you're anticipating is not just going to be a strong contributor to your offense or defensive strategy. I mean, you're looking for a, a person that's really going to change the entire culture of the locker room, right? The, the entire culture of the organization. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, some, someone that the fan base can, can get excited about, right? Um, you know, someone that can sell tickets. You know, get you know, get merchandise, sales revenue going, and all. You know, the whole nine.
1: Yeah, definitely for those teams at the top of the draft, like in the the teams in the NBA lottery, for sure are looking for that. And um, yeah, for this draft, you you know, the Cincinnati Bank- Bengals are definitely looking for something like that. The Miami Dolphins, Oakland Raiders, man. Um, yeah. Chargers, they're all looking for these marquee guys to to get some hype built up around their team, but also to get
0: back to winning. Yeah. Get back to winning. And and you know, the cool thing about a draft, and this is something that as a, a more astute, more mature fan, you know, I started to realize is that, you know, it's one thing to trade for a guy, you know, and get like a new guy into your system from another team that is a seasoned bet, right? They're proven, they've they have some sort of skill set that uh you know your team really needs. Like it's great when that happens, and and oftentimes when that happens, that person is really a, a piece, right? You know, a piece uh, of the puzzle to that system that you're trying to, to build. You know, it's not very often that you're going out in the free agency market, looking for that number one, game changing, culture changing talent, right? Because, because usually you want that guy to be someone that you know the fan base gets to see from the beginning right that gets to buy in homegrown right to into your organization your culture and your system from the beginning right and your coaches your coaching staff can you know ultimately start nurturing that player from the beginning that's the ideal you know i think most organizations would agree with that
1: absolutely because then i think that individual there's a sense of gratitude towards that team.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah. they,
1: and a lot of times that can lead to them playing harder. Like you're uh, you're not going to regret this draft pick yeah. and they're going to play even harder. And there is something to be said about that. I think we're seeing a little bit of the changing of the guard. I think the Rams, they had some good draft picks, Todd Curley, Jared Goff, but they – they went after in free agency and it almost paid off in a Super Bowl recently. I know they brought in a lot of big name free agents before their Super Bowl run and even Jalen Ramsey last year. So now they're a little bit, they don't have a lot of draft picks coming up. So we'll see how that turns out. But yeah, uh, I think building a team through the draft is ultimately the way to go and a lot of how most teams want to do it.
0: And Well, you know, and, and hey, if you think about it, if you really look back, I mean, there's, been several teams especially in the nfl that have been super bowl winners but you haven't had necessarily many dynasties right the dynasties are really among a select few in the in the nfl and this goes way back you know like the 60s i mean you know there's these few organizations and those dynasties oftentimes if you if you look at them they're Key players were through the draft. Mm -hmm. You know, were acquired through the draft. We're home, as you said, homegrown guys. That you know, by years four, five, six. You know, they enter that prime, and you know, it's like two, three, four guys, right, that are all kind of entering their prime around the same time. That's when you get like the ultimate chemistry. Especially you have the same coaching staff, same leadership management you know top to the bottom Yep. right that type of infrastructure that's when you have something
1: yeah it's kind of like um well i mean the, the the nucleus of the chicago bulls i know we're switching sports were two guys they got in the draft michael jordan Scottie pippen and we don't we're not i don't know if we'll see much more of that in the nba but the nfl it's still i think you still have that ability to to really build your team through the draft and create there's a still a possibility to create dynasties um, through the draft. I think in the NBA now it's more about just joining up your super teams and with your buddies, but
0: uh, yeah. th- the draft is so important. Yeah, no, that, and that, that's, you know, I, I mean, I know we're going to talk more about it next week, but that's kind of w- one of the things that that's cool about this MJ documentary series is it, it kind of shows you what the NBA used to be, mm-hmm. right? Where, you know, it was all about these these teams, all of which, you know, had really started, you know, from the beginning together, came up together. Uh, and, you know, like back in the 80s when you had the the Lakers and the, and the Celtics. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the 76ers were kind of in that mix early on. The Pistons, the Pistons were kind of in that mix like later yeah. on. Yeah. But these were teams that had really just, you know, they were great coaches great systems you know great players all you know top to bottom you know the entire starting five and it was just like a clash of the titans yeah. year in and year out it was great I mean, bat- I mean man the 80s and 90s was an era of basketball that was just so amazing yeah it, it and, the, and
1: those it took time those teams had to fight through adversity like you mentioned like the Bulls. they had to they, they had to get their licks. They got beat by the Celtics and they had to go through the Pistons who were oh, yeah. kind of running it Absolutely. for a couple of years. So, but, so my, I, what season did Michael Jordan end up winning his first championship? It wasn't until what is season? Like
0: 91, 92. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. So we're talking about, I think his seventh, maybe his seventh year in the league. Yeah. yeah so it, it takes
1: time for, to build a team and to build a dynasty. Um, I think the, Obviously, the Spurs. We saw that recently, and that's come to an end. Uh, but they had a great run, and then great that run. core nucleus of Golden State was was built through the draft, and they they had a good Absolutely. run. Obviously, they added KD at the end there to help get them over the hump the last couple times. But
0: to that to that point, though, man, it kind of goes to show you how groundbreaking it was for LeBron James to do what he did. You know, when he joined forces with with Dwayne Wade, and then of course brought over Chris Bosh. Now you have you know, the construction of a super team, you know, essentially um, a team meant for a dynasty, but that was, you know, basically um, assembled by, by players. Yeah. Almost exclusively by players.
1: Which you could, that's a divisive thing. You could hate it or love it, but I mean, it worked out for them. And that's the, almost the new normal now here in the NBA. I still got that old school mentality, though. I kind of enjoy when the, you see a team kind of grow together throughout the years yeah. and overcome yeah. these, these hurdles. You kind of saw it with Golden State. They had to, they, they, I think they gave the Spurs the run for their money, May uh, forget which year when they were together. And then finally that next year, played Memphis. And oh, yeah. what was Memphis's nickname? Like,
0: grit and grind or something. Yeah. yeah. And I think they went they down. They were earth.
1: tough. Yeah, they went down early in that series, but ended up just kind of kicking their asses.
0: Zach Randolph, Mark Gasol, 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 Tony Allen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they were yeah and Saul. Mike they were Conley. Stout.
1: Yeah. So, and then obviously won the championship that year and then the next year they broke the Bulls' 72-win uh, record.
0: That was definitely uh, a season of, of um, you know, major what-ifs. Gosh, you know, like what if Kyrie Irving hadn't gone down you know, in game one of that final series. Uh, What if Kevin Love hadn't gotten hurt, you know, in that Boston series, right? I really think the Cavs that year, I think that they could have been a very, very formidable opponent had they been at full strength. I really do. I still believe, actually, that had they had the big three in there, that based on the fact that LeBron won six or two games and took him to six by himself, that, they could have won that. that, that yeah.
1: Series. And I think that Draymond the next year didn't get uh, suspended for a game that the Warriors would have been back to back, but I think we could do this all day with what ifs. I do think well, that it, it's that Testament though, that the Cavs yeah. that was the first year that group together. So if they would have been healthy, maybe, but I think they needed that sure. year to test them and they came back next year and obviously won. So it takes it time. It takes time. So where does it start? It starts at the draft. So, this first segment, let's talk about team dynamics. So I think the most appropriate thing for a GM, head coach, owner to do is all get on the same page. And I think the best way to do that is you, you set up a, a list of team values. You have a vision of what culture you want to create. So this could kind of look like anything. It could be like winning above everything, discipline, hard work. Uh, maybe you, well, you want to make sure you have a really upbeat locker room. Maybe that's a value for your team. Mm -hmm. You want players that love the game more than they love the paycheck, regardless of how how good they are. There's all these different things. Do you you want to build your team on toughness? Or do you want to build your team on speed? Obviously, depending on what kind of scheme you're running, but you want to have a set of values. You want to go into the draft knowing exactly what you're looking for in players.
0: But I I think we would be remiss if we didn't also recognize that that type of conversation, you're talking about uh, the values you want in players. Um, I think it it really has a lot to do with understanding like your system or the type of system, type of offense that you're, you're trying to have and how those individuals would ultimately fit into your system. For example, right? You think about having a system, like an offensive system, like a ground and pound. Think about the Tennessee Titans right this past, this past season, you're not going to necessarily be looking for a Phil Rivers, you know, type of, of, you know, a quarterback or, you know, a Tom Brady type of quarterback. You, I know, mean, or,
1: you may want a Tom Brady. I don't think you want someone like you don't want a James Winston type. Quarterback. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want a gunslinger. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want a high um, risk, high reward. You know,
0: you want guy. a guy that's very, very steady, right. That mm-hmm. plays within himself, plays with the offense. It's not really trying to take a lot of risks. Yeah. And yeah, Brady, you know, I, I shouldn't have used Brady because, you know, honestly, he would fit into any offense. Yeah, he's the um, best game but, managing quarterback. But I was not, is he, but the he's the best any type of quarterback to include game manager. The thing about Tom Brady, though, the reason why I didn't put him in this category is because, really, let's be honest, I mean, with the Tennessee Titans team, your running back is going to be your feature guy, right? That's your feature back. That's the guy you want the ball in his hands is, is your running back. Position, so it it sort of wouldn't make sense to pay a guy like a Brady to have that type of alpha alpha guy who wants to, you know, be the guy, wants the ball in his hands, team like that. You know, because he's not going to get enough opportunities. Yeah, speaking Um, speaking to the
1: Titans, you also you're not going to if you're a downhill running team, punch you in the mouth, run it run it down your face. You don't want to get like smaller faster linemen built more for like a wide open spread offense you want to get exactly. maybe the bigger stronger heftier offensive linemen so you got to know your team's identity you got to know their culture but not only on the field but i'm i'm talking in the locker room as well
0: absolutely man which is
1: probably more difficult for these guys
0: yeah locker room chemistry is interesting i mean there's so much that goes into it you know like because a locker room is almost like uh, i mean it's it's a very private space you know i mean it's like you know, boys club, and obviously you have to have a lot of trust in there, you know, the things that are said and things that are done in that, in that space have to stay in that space, Mm -hmm. you know, and you definitely have to have players that are able to communicate effectively and where there's sort of, you know, one voice, obviously, you know, many voices in the sense that, you know, you, you want a team where everybody feels like they're a part of everybody feels like, you know, they can, they can speak up, but, you want to have also one unifying voice and narrative in terms of you know what the the team's about definitely
1: and there's definitely different cultures within the nfl i remember an offensive lineman i think it was for the philadelphia eagles lane johnson who said he'd rather win one super bowl and have fun winning it with the eagles versus win several with and not have fun like I think he was taking a shot at Bill Belichick and the Patriots because Bill Belichick is a strict guy focused on the fundamentals and maybe not the most pleasant coach to be around. He's not a player's coach. He doesn't have their reputation, but it's effective and they win a lot um, which wh- what's yeah. more important uh, enjoying the process or, or the winning that Super Bowl and hoisting Lombardi trophy. So I think as a GM, you have to know do, do I have a player's coach or do I have more of that Bill Belichick type, that dictator type and, mm-hmm. Definitely maybe drafting guys yeah, that think fit.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that that's big, you know, because, you know, a guy like Belichick, um, I mean, it's a wonder, for example, that an Aaron Hernandez type of guy even made it onto a team like the Patriots because, you know, they just don't really put up with a lot of extra stuff, right?
1: They've been known um, to take a lot of these troubled, quote-unquote troubled guys. and They do. It's paid off. It's paid off at I, times.
0: They do. It's interesting. You're right. Um, Belichick does seem to have a way with, with certain types of guys in terms of, you know, I think his more like military style of just, you know, Hey, you know, here's the rules you stay within this framework and here's your boundaries and you know i think it works for some guys yeah. um but I, I tell you what it, it, there's a lot of other guys that i really don't think it would, it would work for yeah um i mean you see how how, uh, how long you know antonio brown lasted. <laughs> yeah two or three weeks
1: and i think that the owner had to pull the leash on that but looking back on that mike tomlin was able to keep antonio brown in raps for a long time before it finally wasn't worth it now see
0: he's a guy he's a very a different coach. guy Definitely yeah he's a, a player's, players coach. coach yeah absolutely so what, what
1: does that mean to be a player's coach if we're, if we're going to relate this to the disc assessment which is mm-hmm. the four kind of four characteristics on how you fit into a team are you dominant? are you an influencer are you conscientious or are you steady i think steady, yeah. i think a player's coach is more of that kind of influencer people-oriented also steady like you're a glue guy almost. You want to you make sure the bonds amongst all your teammates and coaching staff are, are tight. Yeah. And, and you're not trying to necessarily ruffle people's feathers. You're trying to be a, more of a calming influence, be on each person's side in order to, to kind of gain that trust and loyalty. And yeah. that's, that's how you get the best out of your, your team is you build that relationship with them.
0: An influencer, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, know, that, that, that's the one that just kind of like jumps off the page because, and, and if you listen to, to Mike Tomlin, you know, he, he actually gives great post-game you know, interviews. He's and, definitely and a fan of coach. Great speech. speeches. Oh man. Like, he's very motivating, very, very inspiring. Um, but when you listen to him, he's, you know, in his own little way, he's kind of like a, he's like, like a rah-rah guy, you know, I mean, he's, He's like uh, always you know speaking very highly of his of his players you know he's using what what seems to be more like positive psychology principles uh, through his his narratives um, and he's always talking about like you know team first you know he's very good about naming the the players and identifying the players that you know he wants to to highlight um, yeah I think yeah I, I think he he's a guy that knows how to tap into kind of the emotional side of the game and the experience that that players have and he, he connects there almost like a guy that like i remember when he first came into the league i wasn't really sure like i because i don't think he was like a he's the
1: young youngest head coach at the time
0: right and and i and i remember and i remember like saying to myself yeah like this guy—he he seemed like a guy that literally had just stepped off of the field. Oh, he's younger than some, some of the. You players. know, and just like put on, you know, like kind of the, you know, the headgear and and you know picked up a clipboard, you know, kind of thing. He just went went, went to work, and it just felt like he had that type of connectedness mm-hmm. with with the team. and always had, and you know, he he was successful from the beginning, if you remember.
1: And I, yeah, absolutely. And I definitely um, think that it helped the fact that he was closer in age to a lot of these guys and closer in experience than, say, like a Bill Belichick. In the, what you mentioned, his press conferences, he never, he's not throwing his players under the bus. He's not calling them out in front of the media um, no. because he, he cares. He knows that those bonds are the things that are ultimately going to make his players play harder for him. So there's a lot of, co- like, we could probably go through all the coaches and put them in the category of players coach versus what's the term of the other type of coach? Like, no nonsense coach. I know Pete Carroll. <laughs> Pete Carroll's for sure a players coach for sure players he's coach. all about the influence yeah. he's he's a big time influencer
0: yeah and you know to the point uh, that we were making earlier right a player's coach is going to mesh well with certain types of of players right mm-hmm. in terms of in football the quarterback position but then you know i think you, you know that you have to understand what you have mm-hmm. in your
1: players so it's yeah like you mentioned it's all about understanding so if you're a GM who's above the coach, you want to make sure the relationship with the GM and the coaches, they're on the same page. So if you have a coach like Mike Tomlin or, or Pete Carroll, who is an influencer, the GM has to be aware of that to know that, all right, this this person who works off emotions is more enthusiastic, yeah, um, yeah. really cares about the social relationships. Maybe yeah. if you have a head coach who's more of a player's coach, you want to have a GM or an owner or someone else in upper management, who is more focused on the end goals, who, who's more focused on winning, who may be more conscientious, who may be more focused on the data, the analytics. Analytics, That's yeah. That's becoming absolutely. bigger now. Yeah. So you, ha- you have to mm-hmm. balance this out.
0: Yeah, you have to. And uh, I, I think about the, when I think about the dominant coach, right, the, the, the type of coach that probably best captures that image for me is Greg Popovich of the San Antonio Spurs, yeah. right? I mean, he's a guy that's in your face, you know, I mean, I he, I, I feel like I've even seen him grab guys, like physically, you know, yeah. <laughs> grab these like, you know, seven foot guys, you know, and, and, and will, you know, kind of say, hey, look, to get their attention and say, hey, you can be better, you can do better, right? I think
1: that the great thing about Popovich though, is he I think he's all, almost just as much as an influencer as well, because like we mentioned in previous podcasts, he'll get his team together and they'll watch documentaries about Martin oh, Luther Jr. An influencer. yeah. He's all about yeah. creating a family environment. That's what he absolutely, cares. man. He cares about those relationships and through those the strength of his relationships, he, he then exerts his dominance because
0: he does. And and that's why he's so successful is the balance, you know, the balance of the two. And and this is actually a, a really important theme that you brought up. Right. Is that when when you're putting this together, it's it's, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Right. And what you ultimately want to have, you know, in order to have all the, the pieces fit is balance. You have to have balance. Right. So it can't just be, you know, all dominant, you know, or all conscientious or all influencer. You know, that 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 often doesn't work. Mm-hmm. it really has to be you know a balance of forces both within that individual component, meaning the coach or the or the the player I think and right. then a balance of forces across the team, yeah you know and across the organization too.
1: I think an ideal head coach a ideal yeah. team manager is someone who can embody any four of these characteristics at a certain time. they can be dominant when they need to be dominant, they could be an influencer, and yeah care more about the relationships they could be more conscientious and be open to looking at the analytics and they also could be steady and really want to hold like steady the course and 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 maintain their focus so that's that's what you want out of a head coach and then when you're drafting players because we're going to get back to the nfl draft the quarterback is every no one would argue that's the biggest position in in all of sports most important position in all of sports
0: yeah definitely is the most you know sort of responsibility yeah. right and i think um, you definitely yeah. want some dominance in your quarterback yeah yeah and, and i think let, let, and let's let's be clear right um i mean we're using these these broad based terms right but these terms have sort of like these characteristics that are they're wide ranging right they're they're across the spectrum in terms of what goes into the dominant you know personality profile versus the the influencer personality profile versus the steady versus the conscientious and you know one of the things about uh, you know a dominant person that's really important particularly for the the uh, quarterback position is you know the willingness to accept right the the burden of potentially being wrong you know willing to to put it all on, on you know his or her shoulders right to say hey i'm willing to take the last shot right i'm willing to to throw that that pass you know through like three defenders you know just you know I'm that like i hit right that 15 the, and you know what i mean yeah i mean you know i'm going to to make that play and and, and it's going to be all on me and at the end of the day right i'm going to stand there in front of those cameras and I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accept, you know, the, the blank, make or miss. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, by nature, the quarterback has the ball in his hands every single snap. So you want someone who isn't afraid to have the ball in their hands and isn't afraid of going for it and, and making that throw or, or scrambling and going for it that way. A la John Elway. Uh, and that's the Super Bowl against the Falcons when he did the, the little twirl. Cross the pile on That's an up. incredible play. Yeah. Man.
0: Those are the plays, though. You know, those are the ones, like, he had to make a decision. There was a certain point, you know, in his mind, he had to, to determine, right? I can either throw or I can run, right? And I, I think you can make an argument that um, had he not made the decision that he did make that, you know, it could have been a completely different outcome yep. for that team. And
1: if he wasn't a dominant guy, who knows if he would have made that?
0: And I have a feeling, dude. I have a feeling that you're the the guy that drafted him, that GM, you know, that whomever, and you see that play. Twenty years down the road, you look at that play and you say to yourself, "That's why I drafted that guy."
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, like it's that That it's, it is plays like that.
1: Absolutely, and, and this isn't to say that we expect. Like we were mentioned earlier, the ten, Tennessee Titans, Ryan Tannehill, he. He needs to be dominant in his own way, but he can't bite off more than he can chew. At the end of the day, you're not going to call an audible at the line of scrimmage when it's uh, third and one from the one yard line. You're going to give it to Derrick Henry. Uh, You got to kind of you got to know your role. But being part of being dominant is is being able to, or maybe this another word for it, like resilient, being able to put your kind of ego to the side and ultimately doing what's best for your team in that situation. Mm -hmm. That's the dominant move in my in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a dominant move, but I think it's also a little bit of, you know, hopefully, you know, that that conscientiousness too yeah. <laughs> plays a role in, in some of those kind of decisions. Yeah,
1: that's why it's got to be a balance. So moving forward, each organization has their values going in the draft, but then you also have, most importantly, second most importantly is, all right, what are our positions of need? Like, what do we yeah. need? Do we need pass rushers? Do we need uh, shore up the defensive line? Do we need to have a better secondary do we need Very a shutdown corner? Questions. Do we need a quarterback? And a lot of teams need a quarterback, um, so you got to know this. And then the last thing would be: all right, you have your positions of need. You're you're looking at the guys that play these positions. Now you got to look and okay, do they match the values of the of your team? Are they would they be a good fit for your scheme? Let's take the Arizona Cardinals for instance. Two years ago, they drafted Josh Rosen in the first round like quarterback. And then they get, bring in a new coach who changes up the entire offense. They're doing a spread offense. So they have Josh Rosen who doesn't necessarily fit that spread offense. He's more of a pro style guy. So what do they do? They go like, Hey, screw it. Let's, let's draft another quarterback. So they get Kyler Murray in the first round and which not not a lot of teams draft quarterbacks back to back in the first round. And and they did that. And it it looks like it may pay off. Um, So you really want to make sure this guy fits for your scheme on the field, but also your culture. The team Mm -hmm. culture. Is this someone that's going to buy in?
0: Well, I mean, but this, you know, these are really difficult decisions.
1: Now, we're not the experts on telling you if an individual is going to be a fit for your scheme. Obviously, the coaches should be able to handle that. Your GMs and your coaches. These are NFL guys, tried and true. They know who fits what. But I think what Armin and I can ideally provide some sort of insight into what a psychiatrist can do, what a sports psychiatrist can do, is provide insight on who may be a fit for the culture. Who may be a fit for the locker room, and what, or just what to look out for in these individuals?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think you know we can all agree that culture and fit, from a team dynamic standpoint, are absolutely essential, right? And you know, certainly there there is a is an approach that I think that can be taken. You know, sort of like um, a, a rubric that can be very uh, helpful in making sense of whether or not the pieces fit, you know, with the the players, the coaching staff, you know, and the the different components of the system you're you're trying to develop. So. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think it's not to say that you could definitely get individuals from all these different backgrounds and the NFL is becoming more and more of a diverse game. Obviously the NBA is head and shoulders above the NFL when it comes to having players from multiple different backgrounds. They have international players from everywhere, but the NFL as well has people from all over the United States. And, and you definitely have your, your share of foreign players in the NFL as well, but individuals that come from different backgrounds, individuals that have different personalities, and you could definitely get individuals who are on opposite spectrums of different personalities, maybe even clashing personalities together on one team. Granted there's, there's 53 guys in the NFL roster. So you're not going to be able to draft 53 guys that you think are all going to be best friends and, and get along
0: well, at with, all times. you know, with the football team, you have teams within the team, you know. You have special teams. You have, obviously, defense, offense. You have offensive line, defensive line. You have the mm-hmm. defensive backs. And you have coaches backs, for each backs, position. Coaches. Yeah, I mean, you know, so it, it's, you know, there are definitely teams and then team dynamics within the team, you know. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting in the NFL. But, you know, going back to this rubric, you know, we've talked about this before, but I think this is a great podcast episode to highlight some of these these attributes, you know, that we think should be emphasized, mm-hmm. right, when you're looking into that that franchise changing player, right? You know. Making that 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 huge selection, right? That number one pick, first round.
1: Oh, we're talking at like, top of the round. You yeah. In the first round, you're definitely going for someone who's going to change the culture or someone that ideally yeah. carries all these, these great attributes that we'll discuss. Before I get into that, though, the draft is important, too, because you see this with even paying players. Are you going to use a first-round draft pick on a running back in this day and age in the NFL?
0: Well, I think it depends on a lot of things, right? It depends, obviously, on the degree of need at that position. Because um, running back is always going to be a position of need. I, I think that no matter what, even if you have great skill players, the receiver position, quarterback position, you got to be able to run the ball. You know, at some point. Yeah. Um, and so, it, it, if you don't have that position spoken for, that's something that you, you at least want to want to consider. Yeah. Now, uh, I think the other layer of of thinking there would be. Not only what are my needs, but also what's the level of talent on the market, right? Because, you know, there are some years where you have some can't miss guys, right? Like the year that Saquon Barkley came out, yeah. you, you know, you can't pass up on that guy.
1: Yeah. So for someone like that, you're talking about like a once in generational talent. So it's he's the surefire can't miss guy, yeah. but... When you're talking about like running back, you're talking about, it's not necessarily a specialized position. It's something that you can, and you've seen this several starters, you can get late fifth, sixth round, you can get undrafted free agents that come in and become pro bowlers at the running back position. So It's it's not necessarily a position you want to spend money on unless you're getting someone who can be like a Saquon Barkley, a Christian McCaffrey. And Alvin Kamara, Le'Veon Bell, someone who is a Jack you see those trainer. guys
0: out there. Exactly. There you go. So another component of a running back is that, depending on the style of offense, they're going to be a guy that aren't just carrying the ball in short yardage situations, but guys that you can you know spread the field with. You know they can yeah. become receivers. They can you know catch catch out the backfield and they can make plays or playmakers, right? So those utility style players. They, you know, in certain offenses, you know, you can their their value becomes exponential. Exactly,
1: but they're more replaceable. And, and you think this is like easy? And granted, we're saying this in retrospect. But then you have organizations like the Patriots, one of the best run organizations. In the first round, just two years ago, two three years ago, they draft Sony Michelle out of Georgia, right, and right. I mean, he's been okay, but that's someone you spend a first round draft pick on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think um depends on how you look at it. I mean, I, I think that Sony Michel actually played a, a large role in that last Super Bowl win that they had. I you mean, know, he didn't win yeah. MVP, you know, um, but he could have, he, I, I think he was definitely contention.
1: I mean, that. he had a solid rookie season, um, not so much his second year, but do you not think that that performance could have been replaceable?
0: Well, but the question is not, you know, as a running back, certainly, you know, there are plenty of running backs in the league that are better than Sonia Michelle. The question you have to ask yourself is, was that pick replaceable? So in other words, was yeah. there another guy on the market at that position at that time that could have come in, made a bigger difference, a bigger impact on, you know, the playoffs ultimately get Super Bowl or and Sonny Michelle. Yeah.
1: And then this right. they in the last draft they drafted Nikhil Harry and and that ultimately leads up to Tom Brady leaving because he doesn't have enough weapons to go to Tampa Bay. Um <laughs> so, Tampa Bay, I love it. That's great. Yeah. I mean they, they won a Super Bowl, Sonny Michelle, but these things can have percussions down the line if you mess up the draft, especially if you mess up those first couple picks that you have. Um, and as an aside, we should talk about how Gronk just decided to join Tom Brady and the Patriots traded him down to Tampa Bay. Uh,
0: yeah, we have to talk about that. I mean, that's huge. You know, that that is like, I guess, a moment of mindfulness in sports, right? I mean, look, he's a game-changing, game-changing tight end, really still relatively young. He's you only know. 30. I mean, I, I saw him play in, you know, uh, two seasons ago. I mean, he looked he looked good. And the playoffs against the Chiefs,
1: one on one against Eric Berry, had a huge play. And then the in the Super Bowl, he set up the winning touchdown. So he did. This is a guy who's been banged up. But I, he, if I had to choose one tight end to be Gronk,
0: yeah, he, he's he's definitely uh, a guy that that you would consider to be among the the greatest tight ends of all time. And um, statistically, he's not going to be at the top of the list in any in any category, uh, just because of his long. Lack of longevity and, you know, he's other than playoff touchdowns. He's banged up. Well, of course his playoff performance, no doubt, but you know, I I tell you what, even though most of his careers are based on, you know, statistics and and longevity awards, one of the things about Gronk man is his big playmaking ability. You know, there's playmaking ability and then there's big playmaking ability. And one thing about Gronk is he's a big playmaker. You know, he's a guy that's going to make the biggest plays in the biggest moments. And that's why he's invaluable.
1: Yep. Absolutely. So that's exciting. That's uh, to see those two. We we get the privilege to watch two of the best to ever do it link up again. Granted, I'm not the hugest Tom Brady fan because I'm a Steelers fan. He beat down the Steelers and the Colts several times. So uh, many,
0: it were many teams, it's uh, many, many yeah. other victims. Exactly. Besides just those two.
1: So uh, that'll be interesting <laughs> to watch down in Tampa
0: Bay. Um, but it yeah, is, m- it is. We haven't really talked about that. I mean, yeah. hopefully, at some point we do. But you know, it's, it's the sort of next chapter of an epic duel, kind of a game within a game between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Yep. You know, two two legendary sports figures mm-hmm. looking to establish time. themselves separately
1: from each other. We'll see. Time will yeah. tell. Us. We're definitely doing a podcast on that. So. Speaking of the, the drafts, that the Patriots got back a fourth-round draft pick for this year's draft, so a lot of sh- movers and shakers that surround draft day because these GMs are, are trying to figure it out, and they're doing it now from the comforts of their own home through Zoom. Yeah. They're, they're doing physicals, and uh, we'll get into like individual players, but uh, Tua Tagliavoa for the Alabama quarterback they had the fractured hip, dislocated hip, fractured posterior wall of the hip, and yeah. NFL teams aren't seeing him in person to do a physical. They have to do it over Zoom. That's,
0: that's isn't that crazy.
1: Yeah, that's, that is that's insane. I, I, I how does that even work? Yeah, um, I don't. I mean, I imagine somehow, some way, they're doing those physicals. But this day and age, there's so much more information with regards to the, these players out there for these GMs and these coaches to evaluate. You have social media pages. You have people like analyzing what did you favorite or what did you like on on Twitter we had that issue I think we talked about before Nick Bosa the defensive end out of Ohio State was was liking and tweeting pro-Trump things and then he was getting flack because he was going to get drafted second overall to the San Francisco 49ers who which is San Francisco's overall liberal play so he had to shut down his Twitter and that that was all the noise leading up to it but what what happened Nick Bosa ended up being the NFL defensive rookie of the year They they went to the Super Bowl he had an amazing year and that's all kind of uh, nonsense at this point. So there's so much of this information out there that, like GMs, coaches, fans think they're getting a better insight into this player and how they're going to be on the football field, but in reality, it may have nothing to do with how they can perform and how they buy in.
0: And yeah, how you know, and, and I just want to touch on that because that's such an important part of this. I it's funny how like you know people often think that they can for example, look at a box score and know what happened in a game or be able to kind of get an idea based on just kind of like reading the stats and the analytics or whatever that they understand the game. You gotta look at the tape I and mean, you have to look at it. You have, to, you have to see, you have to look at the film. You have to see the game. You have to, I mean, hell, it's probably the best thing is to actually be there live, right? Seeing it firsthand that's the best perspective. It's always gonna be the best mm-hmm. perspective is when, you know, the closer you can get to a person up close and personal, right? And, and you know, there's there's really no other forum than folks like you and I get to experience this type of connection than in the exam room, right? The medical exam room, or for us, the therapy room, you know? Mm-hmm. When it's just a one-on-one thing, you know, and, and it's like, hey, Let's just talk, you know, let's just have a conversation. Let's get to know each other off the field, off the record. You know, just let's just talk. That's the best way. I think always to uh, to figure out if someone's a good fit, you know, yeah. let just have a conversation. Look them in the eye, you know, shake their hands, right? Yeah. Reach out and touch or, the, you know, today's day it's <laughs> you an elbow bump or whatever. Well. But you know what I mean? Like you got to you have to connect. But that's difficult
1: because there's so many players. There's so many prospects. There's a limited amount of time. You can't really sit down with someone for more than what five, six minutes. And it's not hard for a prospect to come off good or not show any red flags in those five or six minutes, especially if they're talking with someone who is a coach and isn't necessarily trained to be psychoanalyzing someone. So I think it – you just look at the track record. Like you mentioned the tape. Is this someone who has faced some sort of adversity and has succeeded throughout their career in team sports? Are you able to talk to the, not only their former coaches, but their former teammates Yeah, get a sense of, yeah, were they absolutely. a good teammate? Were they a leader? What did, mm-hmm. did they win a lot of games? Maybe if they're at like a smaller program, Maybe winning a lot of games isn't a big deal, but did, were they competitive until the end of the game? Were they trying their hardest even in a blowout? Things like I that. I See where you're
0: going with this team. Yeah. I so, see where you're going. Now I'm feeling you, man. Like you know, we're, we're really going with, this, especially once you you include the you know the, the the combine, you know the physical, the physical fitness profile, the you know the health assessment. Now you have a biopsychosocial formulation. Yeah, you know. You know, now you're putting all the pieces together. Mm -hmm. And that's really, I think, the, uh, the essence of the rubric.
1: So I think if you have a mental health expert on your staff, you certainly can have them. If you're zoning in on specific players, especially their first overall pick, or you're trying to pick a franchise quarterback, have them sit down with that individual. But if you don't look at the tape, gather as much information from former teammates and coaches. And this brings me back to, like I mentioned before, if someone's trying their hardest, even in the, not so best circumstances. Like you talked before about how Michael Jordan got cut sophomore year from the varsity team. He had to play on JV. I'm reading a book right now called playing for keeps written by David Halberstam. And he talks about how the coaches would go to the JV games and MJ was just putting it on them. You would think that it's a tie game with 20 seconds left. That's how hard he's going, even though they're maybe they're getting blown out by 20 or they're up by 20. He's going full tilt regardless. So You want an individual, ideally you want an individual that's going to go full tilt and put in like the highest level of effort possible when they're playing, because that's what you're looking for. Someone who's competitive, passionate, and driven to the highest degree. And the best predictor, just like in psychiatry, the best predictor of something that's going to happen in the future is past performance. So Mm -hmm. that's why you're seeing a shift in the NFL right now where they're, they're drafting more so on past performance they're drafting these players that have shown that they're competitively great. We talked about it, and actually talked about it in yeah. Competitive
0: Greatness podcast. Yeah. That makes sense too. I mean, because if you think about it, like the more often you've demonstrated a particular skill, a particular talent, you know, the more of it that we, we see on display, the more likely it is that that really is who you are, mm-hmm. right? And it's not just a fluke, you know, it's a a fly by nine, just not, it's not just a situational thing, that this is really what you're likely to do in any situation or most situations, given the opportunity.
1: That's got to be the most reliable predictor. And Mm -hmm. you see that the team organizations are coming to their senses when they're drafting individuals like Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. They're not the biggest tallest, strongest guys at the quarterback yeah. position, which is known to being six, five or bigger. No, this the NFL is changing its tune, be, probably because Drew Brees and Russell Wilson have had huge success, but there is no prototypical quarterback anymore. The prototypical quarterback is the t- quarterback that they've seen already demonstrate competitive greatness. It's not necessarily yeah. going to be the Josh Rosen from UCLA who's six, six and, and hits all the measurables.
0: Yeah, and you know, and this is kind of why like it, it, it really and this is probably something you know fundamentally different between basketball and and football at the professional level is like it really probably pays to be a more seasoned college player right before going into the league like in spite of the injury risk, you know that you that you take by staying an additional season. I man, I i I'd, I'd much rather if I, especially if I'm an exec and I'm looking into, you know, these college athletes, I'd much rather go with the senior than the sophomore, right? Because I have four years, potentially five years of film, you know, with this guy doing what he does, right? Mm-hmm. And it just feels like it's more of a of a known quantity at that point.
1: Yeah. So let's look at the last couple first round draft picks Baker Mayfield walk on at Texas tech ended up transferring because Patrick Mahomes took the starting job at Texas tech transfers to Oklahoma, earns a scholarship. The rest is history becomes the Heisman trophy winner. So he had to overcome adversity only six foot, six foot one, not your, not this highly touted guy out of, out of high school. And then last year, Kyler Murray, first overall draft pick, he didn't start at Texas AM, transferred to Oklahoma won the, won the Heisman. Um, also didn't Russell
0: Wilson, he has a foot. similar story.
1: Yeah. Started out at right. NC state, um, and then ended up graduate transfer to Wisconsin, From
0: Wisconsin. That's right. So man.
1: these are all guys that faced some adversity and kind of went through the mud a little bit to prove themselves as viable options.
0: Exactly, man. And, and so now we're, we're really touching on something important here because earlier we, we talked about how this quarterback position is is one of these positions, you know, of great responsibility, probably the the most important individual position in all of team sports, right? And to, to, to have that kind of pressure, right, to be that resilient to be able to take on such a role for for an organization, um, you know, potentially what, like a, a billion-dollar franchise, um, huge fan base, you you're gonna have to be a guy that yeah, That's battle tested, you know, that, that has character, character, like strong character mm-hmm. strengths.
1: Someone who's developed resilience. There you go. And someone who's developed confidence. So and you mentioned billion-dollar franchise cowboys are worth 4.4 billion dollars. So you're right. These are the face of the franchise. This is your all-star employee right here. You oftentimes Will be the reason why the franchise maybe gains in popularity and d- generates more and more money. Just look at the Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan was there. No, absolutely. Um, look, at, yeah, look at the yeah. Colts and Peyton Manning. He, he damn near yeah. the reason they had built that new stadium. So, yeah. so let's break down these, these attributes. These, yeah, we, man. We, we've mentioned them before, so these
0: five attributes. We, we did. We did, right? So, five attributes resilient, confident, mindful communicator and passionate. Yeah. You know? So
1: we can't harp on these enough. We've talked about resilient and, and nauseam, but that's someone who owns their mistakes. You learn from your mistakes and you bounce back. And we just mentioned two number one draft picks that did that. And I think they're, they're on their way to success. Russell Wilson obviously did it as well. People that are confident, someone that carries like relentlessly positive attitude, you set a high standard of excellence. Mm-hmm. A lot yeah. of times, this involves being someone who's cold blooded, someone that has the ability to, to regulate their emotions because they've been in that moment before they have confidence that they can get the job done.
0: Yeah. I mean, confidence is about like gratitude, it's one of these rare attributes that is, is it's infectious, right? So when you're confident and you're in a group or, you know, with the team that's going to have an effect on the other players around you, right? They're going to feed off of that. It's going to elevate their yeah, game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That confidence is your anchor. When you have confidence, you're going to be able to focus on the task at hand. You're not going to get persuaded or thrown off your game by booze from the crowd or heckling or, or maybe – you're sick that day. You're not going to get thrown off because you're confident in your skill set, and you're going to just be able to focus on what you can control. That's what being confident is, and that's why it leads to better performance. And Absolutely. then that that transitions perfectly into being be able to being mindful, being mindful of what the moment requires. You know,
0: in in that wooden quote, we always go back to that wooden quote. You know, being at your best when your best is required. You know, knowing when that is, it's a big part of leadership.
1: Yeah. And it's been, like we mentioned before, with the Ryan Tannehill example, know your limitations, know yeah. the situation, know that, all right, it's not on me to make the throw necessarily. It's on Derrick Henry to make the run. So, and it's just being there being mindful in the moment. And then you mentioned being a communicator, being a, a, an efficient and good communicator. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the vocal rah-rah guy like a Drew Brees. It can be someone who leads by example that c- communicates Via being the first one at practice and the last
0: one to leave. That's right, you know. And ultimately, um, I think it, here's a big one: embodying the, the team's values and principles. Right? Um, we talked about this in the beginning of, of this podcast how important it is to establish and understand the team's identity, you know, and their, their culture, and, and what what these players can can do in terms of really shaping you know that identity and so you want your your leaders you know you want these types of guys to be walking living examples of what the team's about Mm -hmm. right you know we want the like promoters you know we want them to be like these like you know ad campaigns for you know everyone else to know in the post-game interviews right uh when you're with the fans when you're you know even in the community right just how you go about your business we want you to be be projecting our values i mean our culture
1: yeah Yeah, absolutely and and when you're drafting specifically in that first round any position you want that individual to become a leader of that position group the quarterback obviously is going to be a leader of the offense but also you want to when you're drafting a first round offensive tackle or offensive lineman you want him to be the leader of that offensive line group you want him to set the tone when you're drafting a wide receiver in the first round you want that wide receiver to set the tone for the wide receivers same thing with middle linebacker with the entire defense the defensive line Uh, think about tyron matthew he wasn't drafted by the chiefs they brought him in but he became the captain of that secondary and look how that turned out they ended up winning the super bowl so you want these individuals (laughs) that can come in and if you're drafting the first round, you want them to be leaders, and you want them to be resilient, confident. You want them to be a good communicators, be mindful, and you want to, you want them to be driven and passionate about the game and
0: about winning. All about winning, all about the W. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know, it, I mean, gosh, that, that's that's what separates professional sports from everything else. You know, amateur sports, you know, youth sports, etc. Is like, you know, at that level, there's a, there's so much at stake you know it's not just about pride it's not just about bragging rights or whatever you know it's not just about like fantasy football championships and you know things like that five hundred dollars here and there i mean we're talking about like billions and billions of dollars of, of revenue and, and and not just that but i mean think about the fans the fan bases you know the you know the businesses you know mm-hmm. that are the support of uh, the teams and you know just the whole infrastructure you know yeah. the, the employees. You know everything that goes into a professional organization, sports organization. It's, it's just it's a huge thing, right? Yeah. And all of these things are on the line. when We're talking about winning. Uh, you know, at the professional level, right? yeah, all these things matter.
1: And kind of to that, there's a lot more distractors when you're when you're a professional athlete because a lot of these guys, the reason they wanted to play professional sports is they want that paycheck. They want that payday. So once they get that payday do they care as much about winning? Um, once they get that fame, maybe they wanted that fame. Do they care as much about winning? Do they, yeah. are, do they care more about their brand? A lot of these guys, especially in the NBA now, it's more so about their brand. Maybe they have other interests outside the sport. Maybe they want to be a rapper like Dame, Damian Lillard, although he's an ultra competitor, yeah, but they have other things going on. So you want to try to find those guys that really do care about winning.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, ultimately you are going to have, I mean, you you mentioned, you know, there's so many guys on on, on a team, on a football team, you know, not even to mention like the practice squad and, you know, the the various members of the coaching staff. So, you know, obviously, you know, not everyone can be as dedicated, you know, as the most dedicated Mm -hmm. people. But, you know, you still want, I think, a collective group of people that all of which, know their role, right? Know how they fit in. And I think ultimately buy-in.
1: Yeah, not everyone's going to be a leader. You're going to have some followers yeah. out there. You need some followers. Yeah. Not everyone can be a leader. But you want to try to avoid getting into or creating individuals like Antonio Brown, who at, at one point, it wasn't necessarily about winning. It became right. more about his own personal wishes. So you want to try to to, to limit the amount of those individuals. Certainly if you have a good, strong foundation, you could take on a few of those individuals onto your team and, and hope that they buy in because you have this, this great foundation, this you can gain their respect, but ultimately you, if you you need to create this culture in the shelf life of a head coach and a GM in the NFL, it's not very long. So you got, oftentimes you have to do it through the draft and you've got to do it quickly.
0: Speaking of which, you know um, I mean, you think about like, a typical sort of NFL, NBA, even Major League Baseball, like Dynasty, you know, you're talking about really probably a five to 10-year stretch. um, At the most, you know, 15 to 20-year stretch, you know, if you have a guy like a Brady, you know, who just has that kind of longevity and happens to stay with the same team, you know, throughout his career. Um, But that's what you have to work with. And you basically, you know, have – what you have before you is, you know, you have the opportunity to draft this type of player, you know, that, that culture changing, franchise changing player. And then if you know what you have, if you identify correctly, that this is what you have, you know, the Zion Williamson guy, right? The two the was right. Uh, the Joe Burrows of the worlds. Then you want to make sure that you're singularly focused on building a team around that guy right and understanding him or her as a player as a person and allowing them to be them but you know at the same time you know being again oh a a, an embodiment of the the culture and the values of that team absolutely but you know there's a lot that goes into this process um that makes me think
1: like yeah. if we're talking scheme wise, I immediately think about like the Orlando magic around, they built a pretty damn good team around Dwight Howard, someone who is offensively limited in the low post, but dominant with like rebounds and and dunks. But they just put a bunch of long rangey shooters around them, three point shooters, and they made it to the finals one year. Granted, yeah. they didn't win. And it makes me think of the Dallas Mavericks in 2011. They built a team around uh, Dirk Nowitzki and, and they ended up winning a championship, and he's not—he's he he, sure not your stereotypical alpha or number one on the team. But they want to—they want a title with him because they built a team around him. And do you want to let's do you want to go through like the last twenty or so number one overall draft picks
0: from yeah the because, I mean, NFL Just kind of like yeah, talk about him and, and you know maybe see which like,
1: ones worked out,
0: see how they worked out, uh, you know, see if if these GMs and their strategies made sense. Right? We'll,
1: we'll, we'll call this the boomer bust portion of the of the podcast so do you, you want to start with the nba or the nfl let's go nfl okay so i'm going to start with peyton manning in 1998 so that'll be we'll start there so obviously peyton manning boom he, he hits the boom category two Super Bowls, um Definitely five boom. mvps we can move on quickly from him so tim couch quarterback from well
0: Couture. actually let, let's do this let's do this let's make sure we we accurately define what each category means right so we have how many categories do we have
1: Four categories. Four categories, okay.
0: So you mentioned boom. So right? boom. So that's a that's a guy that absolutely can't miss, but what defines that, right? Is there, Are we talking about, so in the NFL, we're talking about a Pro Bowl, pro, you know, at least one Pro Bowl, but well, is it even more no, than that? No, no,
1: every one of their mother makes the Pro Bowl in the NFL. <laughs> right. I mean, it's well, got to but, but, be but, someone okay. who's either won a championship or won MVP.
0: So it's got to be at least... MVP or championship. Not yes. both, right? Okay. One or the Either other. Either or. And then so that's a basically like greatness. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it then paid off. It paid off. Paid off, definitely. That pick paid off is a great pick. Next next tier below that would be like good. Solid. Good. It's solid. Solid. In- solid. Yeah. Solid pick. All right. And for solid, we're talking about um Let's see. They, they maybe made the playoffs, you know, every year. Yeah, um, perennial
1: starter. Perennial starter. You're you're um, winning more often than not.
0: Okay. Maybe but, led the league, or you know, was one mm-hmm. of the top players in the league at their respective yeah, positions. statistically. Exactly. Okay, and then what, what would be the next tier below that? I think the next tier would be well, bust. Bust.
1: And then okay. you have which that's pretty obvious, someone that didn't live up the expectations. And then the, the jury is still out because a lot okay. of these guys, the, the jury the is the young still guys, out.
0: younger yeah. guys, yeah. yeah. So and, and that's the thing too, right? So we have to understand the life cycle of the athlete and these GMs, you know, which I'm sure they, they understand this very well, and they have to use use this in their analysis. you, know, you you're probably going to be entering your prime uh in about years four or five, right? By by most mm-hmm. people's uh, standards, I'd say, and 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 that prime is going to be a five to ten year window to me, depending on genetics, right? Yeah. Um, and and you know you got guys like LeBron James who have an extended window, maybe a ten year kind of stretch or even Tom more. Brady in that prime, obviously the Brady's of the world. Uh, but five to ten years, you have more limited you know prime eras, like with the Dwayne Waits, Yeah. Right. He probably only really had three four years of solid prime play you know, at the highest level. Yeah. So before let's, I, want, to decline. I, do,
1: I do want to clarify before we go into this, the, the rating isn't just based off the player. Obviously the player had to get put in a, a scenario in order to be successful. So the yeah. franchises that head coaches, the teams are as much as responsible for the boom bust good as, as much as the player. So we don't want to put all the blame or give all the success to necessarily to the individual. Okay. Um, so let's
0: keep going. So you got obviously, obviously Peyton Manning yeah.
1: is, is a boom.
0: So we'll go quickly. The next one's
1: Tim Couch,
0: 1999.
1: Kentucky. Cont- cont- <laughs> He's a notable bust, man. Yeah. <laughs> He's a well-known bust. Yeah. So the next one, 2000, Courtney Brown, defensive end out of Penn State. Played only for a few seasons. Bust. Bust. He only played seven seasons. So now Michael. This is, we're
0: talking, this is like the, literally the number one mm-hmm. pick yep. in the NFL yep. draft. So wow.
1: So it's okay. worth saying, 1999, Tim Couch drafted by the Cleveland Browns. 2000. Corney Brown drafted by the Cleveland Browns, so it's not a good sign Two when we have back back to wow. back <laughs> at the number one. Yeah, so 2001. Tough. So this one might be difficult. Michael Vick, because I really want to oh, put boom.
0: him. Yeah. No man, no no no. Listen, because this listen. no, I agree, I agree. Yeah, no, because Michael Vick, He's first off, transcendent. He was tra- exactly. So now we have to, I think, redefine what no, ruin no, means. No, we don't have to redefine. A it. There's bit. exceptions. There's always exceptions. Okay, so yeah, Michael Vick. Because
1: um, he revolutionized the game. He was the popularity he had. The things that we, we saw think, yeah. him do in the football field.
0: I yeah. So what we do have to throw in there is that if they had a certain type of commercial appeal, right? Like he had a, a legendary commercial appeal that. Can only really be spoken for right by his his celebrity, you know, his impact, his just his off the field presence. Well, as a marketing icon. No, he. Well, let's not go there. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) his impact on the game.
1: Like if you were playing Madden, maybe Madden two thousand two, you want to be Atlanta Falcons and you want to be Michael Vick because you're running
0: all over the place. Yeah, no, he was great. And you know, I mean, he and he elevated a a franchise that you know. Really, I think, you know, without, you know, you take him out of the equation and you know, the yeah. team, team probably wasn't he, in the playoffs. He
1: had so. a little resurgence with the Eagles as well. He, he was always solid, but I think, yeah, you're right. I, I'll give it the boom category just because the impact he made on on just the f- all of football, all of sports,
0: all of pop culture. One name. You know, I, I, I have this thing, right, where anytime you you achieve a level of greatness in life, for whatever reason, you know, uh, but obviously for, for good. In which one word, you know, just one, either your first name or your last name, like essentially is known worldwide, you know, or or around even the country Um, because it has such a ring to it. You're so notable. And Vic, I mean, you say Michael Vic, you say Vic, the word Vic, Mm -hmm. right? And everyone knows who you're talking about. Okay. That that to me has a certain level of significance that you know it's, it, you just really it, it's, you can't replace.
1: Yeah, the weight so, of that is equal to winning. So 2002, yeah. we had David Carr. Tough
0: situation for him, but bust for sure. Yeah, his brother, uh, different story, but yeah, unfortunately, he was a bust.
1: Yeah. So 2003, Carson Palmer. So this is, I think. He's suitable he's good. for the good he's a category. Good he's solid, solid guy. Yeah, he's solid, solid player. Yeah, mm-hmm. bad franchise, but did did pretty damn well. Two thousand four, Eli Manning. So I'm going to go boom, boom, two Super Bowls. Got you.
0: I mean, two Super Bowls, MVPs. You know, the the household mm-hmm. name.
1: Mm-hmm. Two thousand five, Alex Alex Smith. Good, solid. Yeah, solid. solid. solid.
0: Yeah definitely not a bust yeah definitely i would say
1: and then 2000 i mean you know a lot of quarterbacks
0: he's had a career he's had a what a, you know good what year is this that he so, was drafted
1: so this was 2005 so 14 years in the league he's That's he had awesome a gruesome knee injury i don't know if a couple of years ago uh hopefully i'll come back from that but He'd still be starting, I think, if he didn't hurt his knee.
0: Um, you know, Alex Smith could could be in the running for, you know, one of the, the best sort of like that game manager prototype. You know, there's there's certainly this historical legacy of quarterbacks in the NFL that they're not alphas. You know, they're never the best player on their team, but they, they actually can link up with – a great defense, mm-hmm. right? Or you know, like great other great skill players. Terry Bradshaw. And win championships, right, High, at the highest level. Troy,
1: Troy Aikman, Terry Bradshaw. Those are guys that, not the historically the best QBs, but were damned. Yeah, and they point. had
0: Emmitt Emmett, the Emmett Smith and, and the Michael Irvin. You know, they had the, the Franco Harris and the Lynn Swans. But, yeah. hey, they kept it together. The they were a steady leader, yep. right? Yeah, They got so, it done.
1: So two thousand six, Mario Williams. Defensive end. He played eleven years in the league. Probably good. Solid. Um solid I remember Mario Williams. Yeah, four solid. four four Pro Bowls. The next one, two thousand seven, Jamarcus Russell, drafted by the Oakland Raiders. Nice. Absolute only, bust. Only All time bust. Three years. Only lasted three years in the league. All time
0: bust. Yeah. And very notable for just total, like epic fails to yeah. include, like, not <laughs> being able to, yeah, not be able to, like, you know, meet past the physicals and yeah. you know, stuff like that. This and, is you know, a guy who know, could throw and, it
1: 80 yards from his knees. Right. So don't get enamored with the physical tools. Um, 2008, Jake Long. Offensive tackle. He spent 10 years in the league, four Pro Bowls. So I think we put him at a solid. good, sol- solid category. 2009 was uh, Matthew Stafford.
0: Good. Definitely good and solid. He's solid, and I think he has still potential to be – I think he would be an interesting sort of like jury's out kind of guy because he's been in the league a while, but I I think he has this potential in the right situation True. To to be a guy that could win a championship if he had the right pieces around him, okay. like a Terry Bradshaw. So kind of you're
1: Bradshaw. saying if he wasn't with the current organization, he's with? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Next, I like Stafford. I like yeah. Stafford. 2010 was uh, Sam Bradford, so he's been a bust. Definitely bust. 2011 Cam Newton. So mm-hmm. you know what? He meets. He won the MVP. He was
0: MVP, and, and he was also a guy – you say what you want about Cam, but he was a guy that, like Vic, definitely had a very transformative presence on the NFL, you know, off the field. You know, yeah, marketing I think standpoint. a lot of that
1: started in college for sure because he had one of the most yeah. historic college runs of all time. Um, I think he's a jury still out guy. I think yeah. he – you can make the argument that that one season wasn't an exception. Right. But yeah. he's definitely has that potential to be a boom guy. So 2012, Andrew Luck, I mean, solid. He, he obviously oh, was a boy. He
0: That's obviously a tough one. Man. He <laughs> was on
1: track to be, maybe hit this boom category. Yeah. But career ended prematurely. And
0: you would, you could almost, almost make an argument that he could i mean he's solid he's solid obviously but given the amount of hype mm-hmm. what he was supposed to be and what he ended up being which was therefore i think the championship afc champions is his peak he could be a bust. he could Can he almost rep- be a bus replacement inning not not again not based on the overall overall body of work puts him you know especially because he has some pro bowls in there into the you know the solid category, but if you compare it to what he was supposed to have been, like the expectations, he fell short of expectations. He only stable.
1: played six years.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: yeah. So uh, let's finish this up pretty.
1: Eric Fisher, offensive lineman for the Chiefs. He's been solid. Only made one Pro solid. Bowl, but solid. Yeah. Uh, Jadavion Clowney, defensive solid. End. Solid. Uh, Jameis
0: Winston. Solid. Probably solid. I mean, he's still uh, in the league. He's, he's a starting guy. Is he you want still? Say bust? You want to say bust? I think he's you know, a high.
1: Right now, he's a bust, but the jury's still out. He still has the ability to to reach an upper ech- ech- echelon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, he does.
1: So, yeah, J- jury's still on, James Winston. We got Jared Goff. I think we could all agree that these next three guys, the jury's still out. Jared Goff, first year looking like a bust, second year looking like a possible boomer. And now he's kind of somewhere in between. And then we got Miles Garrett. Despite that incident, I think the jury's still out on him. And then you have Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray.
0: Yeah, yeah, man. Um, They all all have promise. But that's the thing, you know, it's so interesting. There's so much that's unknowable about how a guy's gonna mature. I mean, you see this stuff play out in college at that level of competition. And it's like, time and time again, we've seen how when guys get to that next level, it just, it doesn't look the same, yeah. you know? And and it's hard to understand exactly what's going through their minds, you know, different. And you have to, to start thinking when you, when you see these dramatic shifts in, you know, how people are performing from the college level to the professional level, but you have to wonder to what extent that Maybe you know the, the culture, you know the the values, the principles of the organization. Maybe, you know, Was it the right fit? Those questions have to come into play.
1: Absolutely, and point. and teams that are drafting at first overall aren't usually the best circumstances or situations. But only two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks that were drafted number one overall since 1998. Brothers, both Mannings, and then you had one offensive tackle, Eric Fisher, who won a Super Bowl, but everyone else has come up empty so far. So. That's the NFL. You want to do the NBA real quick?
0: Yeah, man. Absolutely. Um, and the NBA, is, I
1: think it's a little bit, usually it's more surefire for the number one picks. I would expect to be, have more booms than busts mm-hmm. in the NBA.
0: Yeah. So with the NBA. The busts are, uh, are legendary. <laughs> yeah. I would say that you, you look looking at the list, You probably see like a higher proportion of of notable players as the number one overall pick. But I would say that with the NBA, because there's so few players, that like it's more important that you get it right with the number one pick than with the NFL. You know, because NFL you sort of have like you have six, seven rounds, you have like so many more Mm. rounds, so many more opportunities. But with the NBA you know, it's just two rounds. Yeah. I mean, that's it, you know. Um, And uh, on the NBA side, I would probably go back to to 96. I mean, you can even go back to 92. You got Shaq, right? I mean, Shaquille O'Neal, there's no doubt he's a boon, right? I mean, is there any question about that? Next. Yeah. Chris Webber.
1: Definitely good. I would say, I mean, he made the Western Conference Finals. I probably should have beat Shaq, but for much how yeah. much hype he had so, in college?
0: Yeah, Chris Webber is interesting. I mean, household name, you know, he he was great dominant player, part of, you know, the, the great Fab Five at the University of Michigan, uh, came to the league. I mean, he did take the Sacramento Kings to an NBA Finals, uh, where they lost to, of course, Shaquille O'Neal's, ironically, uh, Lakers. I, I would probably go... I'd have to go solid on this one. Yeah, so. I, It's heartbreaking because I'd love to give him uh, a boon. You, we, we love Chris Webber. Um, he's an icon in the NBA. But, yeah, I just don't think he, his, his career quite got to that level. Um, Milwaukee Bucks, 1994. They're with the number one pick selected Glenn Robinson. Big Good. dog. Solid. Solid. Joe Purdue, Smith.
1: Purdue University. Joe Smith's yes. Solid. I don't know yes, much about
0: 95. Smith, yeah, University of Maryland. Yeah, I think he's had a solid career. I definitely right. wouldn't say he's a bust. 96, uh, Allen Iverson.
1: All right, that's obvious. Boom. Okay, 97, uh, Tim Duncan. Another lock. Boom.
0: Okay, 98. Uh, this is actually a pretty, pretty famous one, pretty notorious pick by the Los Angeles Clippers. Michael Oliver Candy. Who? Michael. Oh, this is 1998. <laughs> Michael Oliver Candy. Okay. Obviously, you know, other than his yeah. exotic <laughs> name, no one really knows much about him. So he's a bust. 99. You got Elton Brand. Solid. He had a good you career. A solid player out of Duke University. Uh, 2000 is Kenyon Martin. Definitely solid. Very solid, very solid. I almost feel like with a Kenyan, a guy like that, you almost want to have like two solid categories because you know he was almost in that like that, like premium, yeah. high level. He solid, was so good you know? at University of Cincinnati before he
1: got hurt.
0: He did, he, yeah, he was good. Two thousand one, Kwame Brown.
1: <laughs> uh, that that is Victoria's your mo- bus, yeah. That's your modern day bus. Well, there's a oh, couple man. other on
0: this list. Two thousand two, Yao Ming. Boom.
1: Global, I like, you think so. If we're going to put Michael Vick, global impact. Michael
0: Vick level type. Yeah. I mean, his Mike Mike, Mike Vick boom.
1: Yeah. His injuries ultimately derailed his career, but just the impact he had in in that brief moment he was playing, I think, got to put him in the boom.
0: Bringing the NBA, you know, bringing China and the NBA together. I I agree with that. Uh, 2003, the one and only, perhaps the the greatest number one pick of all time. yeah, Yeah.
1: I think we don't even need to say more.
0: Mm hmm. Two thousand four. Here's an interesting one. He's a very interesting one. Dwight Howard. So no
1: no titles, no MVPs. He did get to an NBA finals. He did. And that he, lost he, was, to Kobe. he was the alpha of that team.
0: I think Defensive Player of the Year award.
1: True. Multiple times. And dunk contest champion. Pretty big super, superstar during his time so i would say he definitely exceeded i think exceeded expectations although at a certain point he just kind of leveled off and went downhill um he's playing great this year could have won a title this year could still win a title this year should have jury still out could still be a boom
0: okay jury's still out there we go 2005 andrew bogut solid he won a championship, right? He did, but we can't but put him in the Boom Cat. He wasn't, yeah, he wasn't part of the the the, the core nucleus of that team. Uh, then 2006, Andrea Bargnani.
1: Yeah, so he unfortunately, my Italian buddy, he's
0: a he's a bust. Probably a bust. 2007, Greg Oden.
1: That's the I had so much promise. Oh, that kind of makes me picked one spot ahead of Kevin Durant.
0: One of the most interesting busts of all time. And I would say this is one of the busts I actually really feel sorry for because he was a guy whose, you know, his, his career was derailed by injury. You know, he mm-hmm. couldn't stay healthy. It wasn't because he didn't work out. I actually think he had the passion. And I think he had the talent to do well at the NBA level. And he had the body, certainly, in terms of just the frame. Big, you know, big body, but yeah. couldn't stay healthy. Couldn't, From couldn't stay on the court. my
1: home state of Indiana, I saw him in the – High school championship game teammate with Mike Conley, um, who went later in right. that, later in that same draft. They were teammates at Ohio State and went to the national championship, lost to the Florida Gators. Um, that had that great trio, but yeah, what could have been? But yeah, definitely
0: a bust. Could have been 2008. Derek Rose, another very fascinating. Yeah, you know, because here is a guy, his MVP, youngest MVP,
1: exceeded expectations early on. Yeah. so I, I think you have to put him as a boom category just f- for what he did in Chicago. Um, but yeah. then, unfortunately, similar to Greg Oden, injuries really de- derailed his career. Um, but kind of having a bounce back, kind of having a resurgence right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, Derek Rose, um, certainly an iconic player, if nothing else. Uh, 2009, Blake Griffin. Ooh, I'll let mm. you go first on this one. Yeah, so... I'm going to go Boone on this one. Really? You know? And the reason why, yeah, you know, because the thing about Blake is I would give him Boone the, almost the same way I would want to give Boone to, like, a Yao Ming or Michael Vick. He had this star power, you know, him and Chris Paul. Lob City, uh, Dunk Lob Champion. Lob City, what they were able to do. And there was a good four or five-year stretch where, you know, Blake Griffin, you know, I feel like he was vying for – top 10 player in the league. Yeah. And that's, that's a big deal. Top 10 player in the NBA. He gets
1: a bump because of the cultural impact. He was yeah. a little transcendent. All right. I'll give you that. He was. What about, um,
0: yeah, 2010 John Wall.
1: He's another guy that, that teetered on like being transcendent. He had the John Wall dance from Kentucky. Um, yeah, had, he a, had a great one and done season there. Injuries have gotten to him over the last couple of seasons. I wanna give him a boom, but I'm I'm gonna say solid. Yeah, I'd have to say
0: solid with him. Especially since, you know, nowadays I mean Bradley Beal is pretty much, you know, taking over that that team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and Wall, I mean I guess his run as the best player on that team. You know, I i actually didn't realize that he was drafted in two thousand ten. I mean, he actually was probably for what a good eight years the best player on that team. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's significant. That one, they
1: won some playoff series.
0: They did, yeah. But I agree, probably more solid, mm -hmm. probably more solid work. 2011, Kyrie Irving,
1: another controversial, polarizing player.
0: Definitely, I would say, I would say, boom, yeah, because you know he has that championship, and he has what most would say the you know what the greatest, many would say the greatest shot uh, in NBA Finals
1: history. I like Michael Jordan against the Jazz.
0: Michael Jordan against the Jazz is in there. Um, Ray Allen, you know, of course, yeah. against the Spurs, you know, that's in there. And even though it wasn't the NBA Finals, uh, Kawhi's shot. <laughs> so yeah, that, that the picture is just the
1: most iconic thing. But yeah, taking down the seventy-three win Golden State with that shot over Steph Curry—that was that's oh, that, that's a boom right there.
0: That really is Anthony Davis. Is the 2012 number one pick? So,
1: I would have been on on the fence up until this year, but I think how it was trending. I,
0: I think you have to go with Boom. Yeah, how it was trending, right? He, he doesn't have any of the. You almost have you almost have to lean towards Jury Still Out because mm-hmm. as great as he is, top five player doesn't know, have the hardware. Sort of like he really doesn't have any accolades to show for it. No MVPs that uh, obviously, no NBA, you know, championships. In fact, he doesn't even have a Western Conference Finals to show for, for his, his one playoff series. So, 20. yeah. So, I think I will actually go with jury still out on Anthony yeah. Davis, even though I, I think he's a great player. Uh, 2013, you got Anthony Bennett. It's almost like or UNLV. Yeah, at a UNLV, it's almost like a total. I mean, he Anthony Bennett could. Quiet is kept be the worst number one pick in NBA draft history. I mean, yeah. that could be up there with you know worse than Kwame Brown because at least Kwame like he played for a couple years, yeah. even got some playoff performances in there because he was playing with Kobe. Um, this guy Bennett, man, I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I'm not. I'm not... I think he's playing professional ball somewhere else. I'm not sh- too sh- sure about his, his life leading up to that point, but that wasn't the best draft. I mean, I think yeah. you have three solid guys that came out of that draft. Obviously Giannis was an unknown. And he's he's a boom guy that came out of that draft. Um, yeah. But and then you have...
0: How could you have possibly known about, about what that, what
1: yeah, that was going to happen? Victor Oladipo, number, was happen. number two, and then CJ McCollum. So those three solid guys in that draft, but other than that, those that draft was extremely weak. So I feel bad for Anthony Bennett a little bit there. Well,
0: in well, 2014, the same team, Cleveland Cavaliers, drafted Andrew Wiggins.
1: So what's with the the Cleveland Browns and the Cavs always having these number one picks? Because the Cavs also had Kyrie Irving, the number one pick yeah. in 2011.
0: Yeah, so there was a stretch of four years between 2011 and you said 2014, where the Cavs had number one pick and they chose Kyrie Irving, Anthony Bennett, Andrew Wiggins, respectively. None of those guys are on the current yeah. roster. That just goes to show you. you know, that's just a dysfunctional organization. You know? well,
1: NBA is also different than NFL, yeah. so we can't harp on that too much. Andrew Wiggins, I want to say. I mean, he's not going to be a boom guy. We know that. He's not going to be a number one guy that leads your team to a title.
0: NBA is different, but let's let's but let's be let's be honest. We have to go back to our original principles. Like, in order to to build a winning franchise. You have to have stability in the organization. You know, if you have three number one picks, remember we said about the number one pick, these are guys that you're anticipating are gonna be franchise changing guys. So you had three guys in the last ten years, none of which are still on the team. That that's certainly a marker of dysfunction one way or the other, you know, mm-hmm. even even though I agree with you, the player movement era has been a big a big or uh, played a big role
1: in that yeah it's interesting if you look at this list. Um I guess John Wall two thousand ten still with the Wizards. But then you have to bump all the way up to Carl Anthony Towns, who's next on the list in two thousand fifteen, who's still with his the same team.
0: Ben Simmons. So these um, are
1: these are jury still out guys. They're not boom guys though. I don't think yeah. Ben Simmons or Carl Anthony Towns are guys that are gonna lead your team as the one number one alpha to a championship
0: yeah i agree i think uh so basically between 2015 2019 you have as follows carl anthony towns ben simmons markel fultz deandre Ayton, and zion williamson of that group the only one that we can say for sure is that guy zion
1: zion's a boom already yeah i think
0: already for you, sure. get
1: the, you get the cultural impact for that and then I think Fultz. I think his he's not going to be a boom guy. I don't think, but Jerry's still out whether he can be a solid contributor, which I think he had been this year for Orlando. So it's-
0: yeah. I mean, but you know, when you when you think about these guys, like these five: uh, Towns, Simmons, Fultz, Aiden, Williamson. Which of these guys would you put? You know, if you were to do a disc. Analysis: A disc assessment on each guy. Which guy would be most likely to have a strong predominance of, of dominant traits?
1: Hmm,
0: that's I think. Option. I think it's got to be Zion. Um, yeah. I think, even though Ben Ben Simmons is that guy, I mean, or, or, or has that persona to be that guy as well. I I definitely have seen when you think about the relationship with. With uh, Joel Embiid, you know mm-hmm. and how that's played out, um, and even Jimmy Butler last year. And Jimmy Butler last year, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I have actually seen maybe the the play and the performance of a guy like Simmons diminish a bit with the presence of another guy like that. And I actually think that you know when you if if that ha- when that happens that's a sign of a guy that maybe isn't really the dominant player that you know, you're, you're expecting them to be. Yeah. Because what I would hope to see is more of a Kobe Shaq you know, you know, sort of dynamic or a Wade LeBron sort of dynamic where it's like, we both can appreciate each other's greatness and realize that we have to be great together and elevate each other's play in order for this team to be great. You want to figure out, because it's all about winning, you know, and, and, I, and I think that, you know, you start to wonder about a guy's, you know, really their passion for winning when, you know, there's another great player next to them and they're not, they're not able to figure that out.
1: Yeah. And it, it could point to a lack of self-awareness, maybe. they yeah. he, he thinks he's the alpha over Joel Embiid and therefore that creates a mismatch and they, they don't yeah. work as well together. Someone, at the end of the day, if you have two alphas, if you have a Shaq and Kobe, if you have a LeBron and Dwayne Wade in the heyday, if you have a Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, it's at some point someone has to take charge. Someone's going to take that last shot. Yeah, someone's going to take control of the, the locker room.
0: And if and, you're, and if your sim is in this situation, how do you not defer that role? Because you 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 can't shoot the ball. You know that. You know you're not you're not even willing to take the shot. In, you know, in the regular season, the mm-hmm. pressure's not on, you know, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, it really shouldn't be a battle. It yeah. should be more of like a Magic Johnson type of, you know, like, hey, like, I'm a great playmaker. I know how to get you in position. Let me just kind of like focus on that and highlight that.
1: Yeah. Let's not let Joel beat off the hook, though, because he's someone who yeah. also has gotten a lot of heat. Um, from the older guys, Shaq and Chuck, for for chucking up three pointers too often, settling, and not so using true. his physicality to dominate inside like he can do. So I think both of them are really still c- trying to figure it out. It's early in their careers, uh, but they both have the physical traits I think to be dominant, to be leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I think Joel Embiid's upside's a little bit more there; his game's a little bit more well rounded. But maybe they just don't fit together, and maybe they are, would be better on different teams uh, with systems built around them as the alpha. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right. I think at the end of the day, when you have someone like that, you want a Ben Simmons who can't shoot to defer to the player who has a better opportunity to score.
0: It's gotta be tough. if You think about it for a guy like NB, you know, you're a big guy and you know, obviously you, you, you can dominate the paint. You know, you can dominate the paint. You know, you have that size, but you know, it's so hard when you have, you know, a, a point guard who can't help you spread the floor, you know. So I think, you know, he kind of, he probably kind of gets punished down there. Um, you see these guys sagging off, Ben Simmons and just packing the yeah. paint. Yeah. And, you know, and it must be tough. So it's almost like you feel like you have to set up, you know, the, the shot for yourself to almost like, you know, kind of get a little bit of spacing for yourself. To enable your your you know post game to kind of take over, I and mean, yeah. you don't have a point guard that can set you up.
1: We'll talk about like all right, we trusted the process. They had Joel Embiid, who was a top three pick. Ben Simmons, number one pick. Mark Folds. So Markel Folds always already was sent out. But all right, now what? Because who knows if Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid fit together? I think Ben Simmons can be a player. Maybe like a. Dirk Nowitzki, even though he can't shoot, that you can build around that guy, but it has to be very specific towards his skill set. Build around him, like the more magic built around Howard, to create a contender. And Absolutely, yeah. That's why the season was going to be so interesting, and come playoff time, but uh, we'll see. All oh, right, man. so I know we've we've kind of probably gone longer than we anticipated, but I wanted to mention two. So we're speaking of number one picks. Let's talk about this draft. Let's talk about the. Consensus number one overall pick that's about to happen, uh, Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned before the last two first-round picks, first overall picks, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, overcame adversity through their college careers and showed that they're proven winners, proven competitors. Same thing with Russell Wilson in the past. Same thing with Drew Brees. Even when Drew Brees came in the league, he had that shoulder injury. He was at the Chargers. They drafted Phillip Rivers, sent back in New Orleans, overcame that as a stud. Joe Burrow, he started his career. He wasn't even really – well, he actually – he was a four-star recruit out of high school, highly touted from Ohio, went to Ohio State, great program. So obviously got a lot of hype behind him, but he got beat out. He was a backup to JT Barrett for two years. And then Dwayne Haskins, who's now the quarterback for the Redskins, beat him out. So he had to transfer. He transferred to LSU, and he played his redshirt junior year there where he had an okay season and then came back for his senior year. Before his senior year, he was projected to either be a late fifth, sixth-round pick, maybe even an undrafted free agent. And then all of a sudden, he has one of the most historic, legendary seasons in the history of college football. He threw for a record 60 TDs mm-hmm. and won the Heisman, won the national championship, and then skyrocketed. And now he's everyone's consensus number one pick. Yeah. And this guy is calm, cool, collected. If you've ever seen him talk or give a speech, he is, at his Heisman Trophy presentation, he gave a speech about poverty and food insecurity in his hometown, and that led to over almost half a million dollars worth of donations to, towards a food bank in his hometown. So this is someone who obviously has had this whole city, if not the entire South, if not the entire country, rallying, rallying behind him. I haven't talked to a single person that, that dislikes this guy and doesn't think he's going to succeed in the NFL.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there's not a lot of holes, right? I mean, it's it, it's interesting. You look at a guy like Burrow and it feels like a, a guy you just, you you want to try to find something about the situation that that isn't right, but then you top to bottom I and mean, everything about him, it, it, it looks good, right? I mean, statistically, obviously some of you know, the best You've ever seen. He seems to have a leadership intangible. He's a winner. Yeah, he overcame, you know, he adversity. overcame adversity. He has the, the the chip on his shoulder. He's an older guy. You know, he's more mature. I think he's like kind He's you know, mm-hmm. he's um, older than Kyler Murray. And he's uh, he's he's obviously well decorated. You know, and he's played. Uh, in a, a conference that's very competitive, you know. Mm-hmm. So,
1: I think he checks all the boxes when it comes to being resilient, being confident, being who's the size. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, the prototypical sort. He's six four. You know, big body, two twenty. Yeah. yeah.
1: So they ha- they've been trying to, like you said, try to poke holes in his game. They say he doesn't have the strongest arm, which he doesn't, and he doesn't have the biggest hands. But I think what we're trying to emphasize is you got to look at these intangibles plus the game tape. You can't get. You do. Throwing off on um, the measurables.
0: I agree. You know, the thing about a, a guy like Burrow, and, and I, I, I don't, I, I'm not an NFL scout, you know, by any stretch, but you know, one thing I, I think about, and, and you, you often wonder about, when you think about the transition, you know, from the collegiate level to the professional level is like, all right, so obviously some of these players have the benefit of a great coach, you know great system, therefore, great players are around them, and you look at these numbers: the sixty passing touchdowns, you know the yards, the, you know, the completion percentage, and you wonder, you wonder, like, is this a function of the guy, right, or is it a function of the system and the players around them? And you know, if it is some sort of balance of those forces. You know the, what to what degree uh, is this guy responsible for these numbers? In other words, could you fit him into any other kind of system with any other kind of coaching staff, other skilled players around him, you know, not the guys that he had uh, in this program. Does he perform the same? Does he perform uh, less capably? Or does he perform better? Right. Mm-hmm. They, you know, sometimes these are you. You ask yourself these questions, and these are the things that are kind of like really hard to know. Can
1: he turn the Cincinnati Bengals into a winning franchise?
0: Yeah, these are things that are hard to know, because I mean, clearly the franchise that he inherited, you know, they were not they weren't you know losing franchise. He didn't have to like lift a team out of the doldrums. Yeah.
1: I mean, he was I'm throwing, throwing he's back. throwing to three or four NFL guys. Randy Moss's kid, Justin Jefferson, who will be exactly. a first round pick, Jamar Chase, who's going to be the number one receiver next year. So he had a lot of talent, great offensive coordinator, great system. And it it's
0: a different situation. It's a different situation. You know, the interesting thing about a guy like Tua, you know, who's obviously his, co- his closest competitor in this thing, is that, you know, Tua, what's interesting about Tua for me is that I feel like, He's a guy that's almost like been a celeb- celebrity for many years mm-hmm. because of the mystique of the Alabama program, you know, how the, the, the winning that was, okay. you know, Cause he came in as a freshman for so many years, his being a freshman, you know, quarterback and just sort of like coming in entered. at halftime
1: with a national championship.
0: And- the way that he came into, yeah, exactly. The way that he came onto the scene, obviously, you know, he has the look, he has the charisma, he has the swagger. Uh, his coach loves He's got him. that
1: new age look too. He's got that Russell Wilson. He's got that They Mayfield, that Kyler Murray look, kind of the short, compact,
0: quick. He does. Accurate guy. And and there's something about Tua. You know, he's he carries with him uh, an aura and and you know, it's been that way for years now. Obviously, um, you know, he won a national championship already uh you know and he's sort of had to carry the weight of that and kind of being you know having the, the being the guy that has the, the big man the on campus target on his on his back right the bullseye um and and he's still i think even though he, you know he had the injury issues he's maintained this poise right and this steadiness uh and this sort of self-confidence that i think you know you really have to to be impressed by
1: yeah i think we're looking at two potential boom candidates both tua and joe burrow because i think too if tua doesn't get hurt he's the number one pick because he has the better arm and has a more proven of a track record being a, a yeah. pretty much a one-time champion, two-year starter at Alabama. Yeah,
0: honestly, man. If, if as great as Burrow was, you know, it, it's kind of something we touched on earlier in the pod. Like, I worry with him, and, 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 and this may be absurd, it may be ridiculous, right? But it, I just kind of worry. You know, is he a one-trick pony kind of guy? Meaning, like, okay, he had this great season with this great moment in the sun, like, but is this really who you are, right? I, there's something about a guy like Tua, and don't get me wrong, the Tom Brady story, I love Tom Brady. I love the the, the chip on the shoulder the guy that, you know, kind of like racks or riches, you know, started from the bottom. Now we hear, like, you know, he, beat, he got beat out by inferior quarterbacks, potentially like Dwayne Haskins, but yet took his game to another, another level. It's a great story. It doesn't always work out though um the more sure fire story is the guy like the Tua who's always been great. he just is clearly that's just who he is whatever situation that he's been in, he found a way you know to mm. rise to the occasion yeah. time and time again yeah,
1: more proven commodity, but i'm I'm going all in on both these guys. I think TuA has the injury history, which scares you, but I think if if he doesn't get hurt. Um, I think both him and Joe Burr are going to be starters in the league for years to come. I think it's just the confidence. It's just the confidence and the resilience that both these guys have. And it's going to be an interesting and fun draft. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Huge, really deep wide receiver class too. So that's going to be fun. So yeah, let's, let's, let's wrap this bad boy up. I think the last thing we wanted to talk about is what happens when your dream comes true. What happens when you reach your goal? What happens when you reach your smarter goal that we talked about in episode 21? about goal setting do you celebrate i think it's important to celebrate any accomplishment any goal because you that's that positive reinforcement that keeps you going but do you become complacent or do you set new goals new smarter Mm -hmm. goals
0: yeah yeah that oh wow yeah that's that that next level you know kind of like mental fitness coaching right there it's like are we satisfied
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know that's always the question yeah i mean you know we've we've gotten to a rhythm, right. We, 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 we've kind of gotten to this point where we're, um, you know, we're more mindful you know, we're practicing gratitude. Um, you know, we developed a little bit of a system of, you know, getting better every day, every day. And then we've achieved kind of short-term goals, you know, but are we satisfied? Yeah. Are we satisfied with that or do we want to take it to an even higher level?
1: Exactly. And that's right. what we touched on earlier. Yeah. Like you want to f- try to find someone who's driven, who is passionate about winning and that their goal wasn't just to get drafted. I mean, get that big paycheck to, to elevate their family, but they also want to make a name for themselves. They also want to win. They also want these other things. So that's, I think that's part of the interview process when you talk to someone and you're drafting them. All right, what's next? What are your goals? What are your smarter goals?
0: What's your vision? You know, it, it, what's your vision? It's not, a lot of people can have goals, right? And um and I would imagine that any any individual that is now like like thinking about making that, that sport a profession, they've had goals and they've set goals and they've accomplished many different goals. But in in my draft pick, particularly my, my first round draft pick or my number one draft pick, I want to know do you have do you have a vision, right? Do you do you see, what do you see for this franchise or well, for yourself, you know, for your team, your teammates, for this franchise, this organization, or this city? You know, 5, 10, 15, 20 okay. years down okay. the road. That's
1: a lot. Kobe Bryant. a lot of pressure.
0: Kobe, if you saw some of those early interviews, right, you could tell he had a vision for what he wanted to be for this organization. He saw himself as a Laker 20 years down the road, Mm -hmm. you know, winning multiple championships. And I believe that because he had that vision early on, that was the big part of why he's able to accomplish so much. Oh yeah,
1: definitely. Why he he stayed and got that second round of championships. But I think a concrete way to maybe get that vision out there is to do smarter goals, make a goal that's specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, relevant, timely, exciting, and write it down, record it. That's a smarter goal. Check out episode twenty-one if you want to dive deep into that, but that's just a concrete way of doing it. So it's a huge day. It's a fun day. We finally get to watch some sort of live sporting event. I mean, last no, it's exciting, man. Yeah, the MJ doc is amazing, by the way, and I can't wait to talk about Last Dance. But the NFL is going to be a lot of fun. So we had to do a podcast about that.
0: Yeah, um, big day for a lot of cities, a lot of people out there. Um, You know, who knows? Uh, You know, it could be the first step along the road to uh, the team's first Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, so check out that disc assessment. All you GMs out there, check out the disc assessment. Check out uh, – make sure these guys are resilient and mindful and make sure they have smarter goals when they come to the league. That's and draft, right. if draft Joe Burrow or uh, Tua Tagalabaiola if you have an opportunity because those guys are going to be studs. Can't miss.
0: All right, Let's, man. Uh, let's continue the conversation and in the stigma.